This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, wherever you want to. No, we're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy, okay? We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you'll move your way to the 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to be speaking about something out of the old so that I can reflect about something we have as a phenomenon in the new. And uh, don't, don't put it up there yet. Just have them turn there. Go ahead and just get to the 18th chapter. The title of my message is uh, Entering into Promise. It's part one. And it's freedom from the occult. Freedom from the occult. And, uh, uh, you know, many people say, oh, the occult. We're not involved in the occult. I think you'd be surprised at how much occult is involved with you. You may not be involved in the occult, but uh, let me tell you something. The occult is messing with you all the time. And uh, so I'd like to just give you a definition of the term occult before we get started. And uh, let's just look at this. It says, it's, you know, and this is a very, this, the definition I want to give you is very broad, but it includes everything from the most blatant Satan worship, which, on, which, which, which I want you to know is on the rise. Satan worship is on the rise. There are people today that are openly declaring themselves worshipers of Satan, worshipers of Lucifer, and they openly declare their evil practices, and they uh, want it to be accepted. The other side of that spectrum is the almost now accepted use of horoscopes, even amongst Christians. Many Christians can't get up in the morning without, first of all, checking their horoscope. Uh, By the way, we don't mess with that in this church. I don't want anybody to ever even... Look at that, let alone traffic in it. But as examples, I would like to mention a few things of what occult practices are. Seances, necromancy. That's all forms of communicating with the dead. All forms of communicating with the dead. Even Kogorogova. Even some of the practices that we have in our own culture. Using of spirit mediums. Witch doctors. Nyangas. All forms of supra. Natural psychic phenomenon, real magic as opposed to simple sleight of hand tricks. How many of you know there's a difference between real magic and sleight of hand? There are some things that are phenomenon that take place. Black magic, dark magic. Do you remember uh, Janice and Jambres? They were able to throw their, their, their staves down and they too became serpents. How many of you know that's real magic? I don't even know that when Moses threw his rod down, it was by the power of God. By, but the others were by the power of uh, a dark magic. I have to say this, that you know, Moses' rod did eat the other two rods. or uh, His snake did eat the other two snakes. I like that. And God will do the same for you today. Fortune telling, the casting of spells, wearing of charms, the use of Ouija boards or any other instrument. Bones, anything that looks into the future or tries to tell the future, astrology, and we can go on. The list that goes on, it's very, very broad. But what I would like to show you is that, first of all, that the Scripture forbids people, God's people, to be involved in these practices, any of these practices. Secondly, and why, this is, why, why, why God wants us not to be involved in this, and thirdly, what our positive alternative should be. So that's my message today. Number one, that God hates these practices. Number two, why does he hate them? Why doesn't he want us to be involved? And number three, what should our positive alternative be? So number one, Scripture forbids God's people to be involved in any form of occult practice. In Deuteronomy 18, now you can put the Scripture up, verses 9 through 12, Moses addresses the people just before they're crossing over into the promised land, just before they enter into their promise, before they cross over the Jordan River and they're they're ready to go and drive out the pagan nations in that land, here's what God said. When you are come into the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire or that uses divination 
or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all those that do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons that you can drive out your enemies from before you is because they're involved in these abominations. One of the reasons you can stand boldly before the practicers of witchcraft is because you serve a living God who hates these abominations. Moses mentions eight spiritist activities, divination, soothsaying, augury, sorcery, the use of charms, mediums, wizardry, or necromancy. Now, these are not clearly distinct activities because they overlap and sometimes they're used interchangeably. What they have in common is that they are all efforts or they involve efforts to obtain knowledge which is ordinarily hidden or there are a means of attaining the means of attaining it through dealings of the spirit world with some kind of a mysterious supranatural force. Not supernatural, supra. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not natural, it's above natural. There's something else these eight activities have in common. The knowledge sought out is not because of idle curiosity, but out of a desire to exert some kind of power or influence over people or situations. Events. You can always tell when you're practicing witchcraft is when you're trying to change the will or the actions of a person or an event using something besides the power of Almighty God, besides God doing it. When you're doing it, when you're conjuring something up, I have news for you. That's witchcraft. Whether you're a tete and you use manipulation that is witchcraft. Your manipulations are witchcraft. Whether you use intimidation, we have a lot of bosses today, and they think that they're very clever. They're, no, you're, you're an intimidator. You don't, God never gave us the ability to dominate, intimidate, manipulate, or control another human being. Nor do we have the power to control events. What does Moses say about these activities? Well, in verse 9, first of all, he calls them abominations. Abominations. This means that God regards them as detestable, abhorrent, and loathsome. This is a very, very strong word. Everybody say abomination. abomination. Say it again, abomination. abomination. I think we should all, and we would do very well to ask ourselves whether some seemingly innocent activity that we are engaged in, either through our traditions, our culture, or out of curiosity, may be an abomination in the eyes of God. Second, according to verse 12, the persons who do, do such things, now listen to this, the people that do such things are abominations to the Lord. Not just the activity, but also the persons become abominable in God's eyes. It is an unbiblical sentiment that says God only hates sin and never hates the sinner. That is a fallacy that has been preached throughout all of our churches. God loves the sinner. He just hates your sin. No, God hates the sin and he hates the person who commits the abomination as much. Now, that doesn't mean that his grace is not extended towards the person. But he hates the sin, and he hates those that commit those sins. You see, whenever a person gives himself over to will or to delight in and to follow abominable practices, he makes himself abominable in the eyes of God. God is holy. And, and that's why we have people that come to church and they say, well, you know, it's all right if I commit abominations before the Lord, adultery, fornication, 
I can go down the list if you, and I will later. But it's okay. God loves the sinner, but he just hates my sin. But they have no intention of repenting, no intention of dealing with it, and, and they're playing a religion and a very dangerous game at that. Now, it doesn't put God, it doesn't put the person beyond God's, the reach of God's love. Let me tell you something. God, God loves us, you know, because, but, but, but there's a big difference between loving someone in their sin and loving them to where you, you ignore their sin. That's like, that's like a father who refuses to spank his child because, well, I just love him so much. No, if you love your child, you'll discipline him. You don't tolerate that stuff. You correct it. God will too. You see, the glory of divine love is that it reaches out to justify and to sanctify those whom God abominates because of their sin. That's God's love. He, he's reaching out to you in your sin. He's reaching out to you in your violation of his law and, and your violation of, and, and he's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's having begun a good work in you. He's bringing it to completion. He's begun a work of consecration. You, you started the work of consecration, but he's doing a work of sanctification and eventually glorification of your life. Again, according to verse 12, it says, The Lord will dispossess and destroy those who practice these things. My contention for the nation of Zimbabwe is that we have allowed witchcraft, we have allowed these things to be so inwoven into our culture and so inwoven into our lives that we are cursed as a nation. We have cursed our own nation because we practice abominations and God cannot bless what is cursed. And it's in the church. And I'm speaking to the church at large. I know none of you would ever practice this stuff. The word Deuteronomy simply is uh, an expression that means second law. Uh, and what it is is it's a restatement and an expansion of what the Lord had laid down through Moses on Mount Sinai, what he'd written out in the book of Leviticus. So it's no surprise to find that that, that as they expand this in Deuteronomy, what we've been reading now, we can go back to the original place where God laid it down in Leviticus. And he practiced, and, in, and, and there's commands like this, you shall not practice augury. You shall not practice soothsaying. In Leviticus 19, 26, you shall not eat anything with the blood. Neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. Leviticus 19, 31, regard not them that have familiar spirits. Neither seek after False prophets, wizards, to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, verses 6 through 7, it says, And the Lord that and the soul that turns after such have that have and the soul that turns after such as have familiar spirits. And those that are and, and after wizards, and who go whoring after them. I will even set my face against that soul, and I'll cut him off from among his people. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Those words are very frightening to me sometimes. You know, especially this thing about familiar spirits, family spirits, family spirits. Ancestral spirits is another way of saying that. We're not supposed to seek after family spirits, familiar spirits, ancestral spirits. This is an abomination to God. And then we have Christians. They can't stand up to their family because they go and they still beat the grave. They still do all the crazy stuff. And they know it's wrong. Oh, but you know, it's our culture. You know, your culture is wrong. Your culture is abominable. It's an abomination. Let God be true and let our culture submit to the hand of God. Is anybody listening to me? It's going to take somebody to be bold. Now, I have many, many members of my church, many, many members who got a hold of this. And they, they, they go and they, they make this stand against the family. And the, and the family doesn't know what they believe anyway. Half the time they don't know. It's just, well, our culture. And they can't explain their culture. They just know that it's there. And they don't know the depths of it. They don't know where it comes from. It's just something that's been passed down for three, four, five generations, and they're just trying to do, somebody brew the beer, somebody do this, somebody do that, somebody do and, and why? Well, we have to... You know, and, and then, wait, 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 I think it's the spirit is, 
on that man. He's, it's the father's spirit that's on him, and it's the brother's spirit on him. And, and we're trying to figure it all out, and it's very subjective, by the way. But every so often, a man of God or somebody will get the wisdom and the revelation, and they stand up and say, well, we're not doing that. We will not be attending, and, 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 and we disagree with this, and they take a bold stand. And they're despised, and they're hated by their family for about one or two years. And then after two years, guess what? Every family member, what, 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 what are we supposed to do? How do we? And, and, and all of a sudden, the, the little boy who was not even supposed to be in line to be the, 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 the head of the family has now become the head of the family because he has a conviction. He has something he believes in. He has something that he knows is true. And he says, we don't do that. We're not going to bring that curse into our family. And he begins to teach their family and he begins to deliver his family out of the darkness of, of a culture that has broken us defiled us, and kept us from the real blessing of Almighty God in this nation. I am teaching good. It's not my teaching, it's the Bible. If we turn to the New Testament, we find nothing to change the divine rejection of the occult. In fact, on the contrary, the rejection is confirmed for example, in Acts 19, verse 19, it says, Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them at, and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. There was a revival in the, book, in, 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 in the Ephesian church. And, and, and the, the, the apostles had gone in there and the, and the, and the teaching had so shook the city of Ephesus where they had worshipped Diana, and, and there were many tradesmen that made a lot of money, many diviners, many wizards that made a lot of money selling their wares, selling things around that religion, the religion of the worship of Diana. But the convicting power of the gospel of Jesus Christ was so strong that men and women forsook their culture. They forsook their false gods. They forsook their wizards. They forsook, and they brought all their stuff together, and they burned it. And the price thereof was 50,000 pieces of silver. You know, I remember the early days of our church when I would preach like this. And I'd call for people. And I'll, I'll never forget one night in the uh, Mount Pleasant Hall, this witch doctor prominent witch doctor, taught at the university, was convicted by the power of God. And he came and he brought all of his stuff. I mean, he filled the front of the stage with all of his stuff. There must have been thousands of dollars worth of mooties and drums and skins and black and white cloth and pails of all kinds of different animals and herbs and spices and headdresses. And I mean, and he just, it just, he filled the front of the stage. And the power of God delivered him. He renounced his position at the university. He renounced his stand. And God used that man. One day he came to me, and, and uh, I, I'll never forget, he, 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 I was talking to him one time about uh, witchcraft. And I said, well, just t tell, tell me, how does witchcraft work? Now, here's the amazing thing. I had just gone to a course in the United States on negotiation. I took this course. I, every time I, I try to do something for myself to help benefit myself, I figured if I'm going to be building buildings and talking to people, I better learn how to negotiate. So I go to this course, and, and, and in this course, I, I'm shocked. But I'm talking to this witch doctor, and, and, and here's what he told me. He said, well, I said, how does witchcraft really work? He says, well, he says, the best way it works is that we like to use fear. He says, if we can get a person into fear, we can control them. So fear is our number one motivation. So I noticed this about the world. The world uses a lot of fear to control you. Whenever I feel fear, I stop right there. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not of God. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I don't, don't want to be afraid of anything. Now, I'll tell you what. Some things catch you off guard and you feel fearful. And you think, wait, but wait a minute. When I feel fear, I stop and I say, wait a minute. I'm not going to buy into this. 
There's got to be an example that God can give me. There's got to be something in the spirit that I can have that I can hold on to. But if, if you're moved by fear, you're, of, you're in the trap of witchcraft. Wherever that fear comes from, if it's Tete, if it's mom, if it's dad, if they're motivated by fear. Now, respect is another thing and understanding lines of authority and understanding that, hey, we have certain things that we observe in our family. That's fine. There have to be respect of our elders. Those things are good. But it's not motivated by fear. It's not motivated if you don't do this, something's going to happen to you. Some bad spirit, you're, you're going to, what, 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 wait, excuse me? Excuse me? So he says fear is number one. He says the second way, if we can't get you by fear, he says we make you angry. He says if we can get you angry, we can control you. I thought, wow, wow. You see, any uncontrolled emotion, here's what, here's what I've learned. The higher the emotion, the lower your clarity of thought. If I can get you in a high state of emotion, I can control you. So what, what happens? People that are demonically inspired will push your buttons to get you emotional so that then they can manipulate you. Have you ever been at a police roadblock or talked to one of our police people? And they, they, they think that they, because they have one pip on their shoulders, they're some powerful being. Really, they should be our servants. But instead, somehow, they've got this concocted idea. And then they stand on the road and want you to pick them up. I say, why would I do that? Walk, baby. Well, that's a bad spirit, I know. But that's, that's kind of how I feel, you know. You harass me at every police stop. You harass me for nothing. And then you want me to be kind to you. I'm saying, excuse me, just be professional. We need to bring professionalism back into all of, not only the police, but all of our civil servants. This idea that you're doing me a favor by doing your job is not good for the body of Christ, nor is it good for the the community, the society. So they make you angry, so that then they have an excuse for not doing their job. It's witchcraft. It's all witchcraft. And then he said the third thing is, he says, if I can't get you angry, if I can't get you fearful, he says, then the last thing is, we, what is the third thing? Huh? No, not compromise. Anyway, just went out of the top of my head. So you have to come back next year for the, next, for the third answer, okay? <laughs> anyway, I, here, here, here's what's amazing. I, I, I'd gone to this course, and you know what the first thing the guy said? I, I'm sitting in this course. I talked to this witch doctor. I'm sitting in this course, and the first thing the guy says, he says, number one, he says, if we can't, he says, the best thing you can do if you want to make a sale, if you want to negotiate, he says, is make that person feel like they're going to lose out on something. Make them fearful. Uh, but now this is like, what? What? The, the best way to get what you want is to make somebody fearful that they're going to lo- miss out, they're going to lose out. That, he said the second way, and he, he taught on that, and then he said the second way is get them angry. He says you go in and you do the hard thing. You knock them all down off their desk, and then he says you come back and then be the conciliator. You know, like, oh, well, you know, maybe I was a little hard. And, and he, he says, but he says once you've done that, you've had them open their hand. It, it's all manipulation. It's all, these are forms of witchcraft. I can't remember the third one. You'd think I'd be a better student, don't you? Anyway, Galatians 5, 19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelations, chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable. Boy, look, at there's, there's three things right there. Fearful, unbelieving, and abominable murderers and whoremongers 
and sorcerers and idolaters, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Guys, I think God might be serious about this. I think it might be important for us to check ourselves and say, wait a minute, have we allowed this into the church? Have we allowed this into our lives? Have, have, have we as Christians become so, trying to be so friendly with the world that we've just allowed this stuff? We allow our politicians to intimidate us. We allow them to put us into fear. We allow voices that shouldn't have the voice to do what they do. And we don't do anything. We just sit there. Okay. All right. Whatever you say. I mean, you must be all wise. After all, you are our leader. How about if our leaders have been like some of our parents? They just don't know any better. And they've practiced abominations, and that's why the nation's in such a mess. That it's time for somebody to stand up with a righteous voice and say, no, not, not anymore. Well, at least there's six of you that will do that. But when the church finally stands up and begins to speak the truth, you'll, be, you'll see something happen. God can't work unless there's a voice that speaks. Number two, why God is so opposed to our participation in the occult. Well, one of the reasons is because it puts down God and it exalts man. To put it in another way, the occult is just a simple continuation of the ancient satanic deception that we found in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 5, where basically it just says, go beyond what God has appointed and you shall become like God. See, whenever you and I go beyond what God has appointed, we're trying to be God. When you go outside of what God says, you're trying to be God. You're trying to find another God or your God. All forms of the occult present us with a similar temptation. Will we act like humble children of our Heavenly Father and submit to God's wisdom in limiting our knowledge, limiting our power? Or will we be like Adam and Eve and hanker for the fruit that can make us wise? And for the power that belongs to God alone. Will we belittle God? And will we exalt ourselves? Or will we humble ourselves and exalt God by being content with His revelation and His use of power on our behalf? Where is the source of your power? I, I'm deadly scared. Scared? <laughs> I'm deadly frightened for some of these prophets who tell you, I am the power of God. God used, look, I'm going to tell you something. If there's ever been a healing, or if there's ever been a miracle, if there's ever been anything that's been wrought through my hands, it has very little to do with me. I'm just a conduit that is able to make a point of contact for the power of God to touch your life. And if you worship me, or if you think that I am something great, if you think I am something powerful, then you are mistaken. You are mistaken. Because there's only one who is powerful. There's only one who deserves praise. There's only one who deserves glory. There's only one who deserves honor. And it's not me. Now, respect, yes. Respect for what I've done, for my obedience. But you don't know me. You don't know that I, too, am a man of flesh. Just like you. And I, too, must walk out my salvation with fear and trembling. Will we belittle God and exalt ourselves or will we humble ourselves and exalt God by being content with the power and revelation that he gives us on our behalf? Let's look at our text again in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18, if you go back there, I want to look at verses 15 through 19. It says, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. And to him you shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see the great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have spoken well, 
or they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. What is this speaking about? This isn't speaking about any prophet. This is speaking about a prophet that will be raised up like unto Moses. That prophet is Jesus. God raised up a prophet. His name was Jesus. God promises to rise up, raise up a prophet from among the people like Moses. The apostles saw the final and decisive fulfillment of this prophecy in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, verse 22, it says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he says, whatsoever he say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. The apostles understood that it was Jesus. Jesus is the final prophet. He is the prophet. He was the final great prophet like Moses. The point of this prophecy of Deuteronomy 18 is that God has appointed a revealer. A revealer of his will. And no other medium, no other source should be sought. That's why I get very nervous when people start prophesying directional prophecies and people run off on directional prophecies. Even a directional prophecy, and I believe in those, I do. But even a directional prophecy must bear witness in your spirit and you must be responsible. Not the prophet. I don't obey the prophets that come to me. If I, if I obeyed every prophet that came to me, I would be the most confused person on the earth. I have a string of prophets. Everybody has a prophecy for the senior pastor of this church. And they're crazy, some of them. I never discount them. I just put them on a shelf and say, well, God, none of that makes sense to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. But obviously, either this person has a screw loose or they're hearing something that I'm not hearing or they're a false prophet or they're a prophet and this prophecy hasn't come under my radar yet. But I am not looking for a prophet to direct my life. I have a prophet in my life. His name is Jesus Christ. I have what the Bible says is a much more sure word of prophecy. Deuteronomy 18, 14, Moses says, These nations which you are about to dispossess, give heed to false prophets, to soothsayers, and to diviners. Many of our false prophets today in the body of Christ are nothing more than diviners. What they're doing is they're trafficking in divination, familiar spirits. They contact a familiar spirit that knows your family line. They know your background. And that familiar spirit is feeding them information. And you go, wow, wow, wow. I'm always shocked when somebody comes and says, he knew my phone number. I said, didn't you know your phone number? You didn't know your own phone number? So why are you amazed that he knew your phone number? Why can't he give me something useful, like the lottery number? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever thought about that? How come he doesn't get the lottery number every week? Because they're working in familiar spirits. They're diviners. They're soothsayers. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says this. God's alternative. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, and him shall you heed. Then he closes it out with the 19th verse. He says, whoever will not give heed to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. 2 Peter 1.16 says this, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When he came, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more we also we have also a more sure word of prophecy 
whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy is of, private, uh, of, of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me tell you something. Anyone who speaks any prophecy will not speak against the word of God. And anyone who will not submit to the judgment of another prophet is not a true prophet. We have people, even in this church, I have people, they come and they, they get private interpretation of the scriptures. And they have all kinds of weird doctrines. All of a sudden, they, and, and, and as the pastor, as fellow pastors, we can't even bring correction to them because they have become wiser than the wise. They have special anointings. They have special revelation. They have special insight. They have anointings that are not spoken of in the scriptures, but they're anointed. And now they're prideful, so prideful that they cannot submit to anybody else but their own ego. God told me. I'm going to tell you something. You be very, very, very careful. We're here to submit one to another. I'm under submission today. As I preach this message, I have guest speakers. I have our senior pastors. I have pastors from all over. I have our, our board of elders. I have, our, I have many people that are watching me. I can tell you that if I go in that back room after this and, and they say, hey, you were too hard. You, I will be on the pulpit tomorrow saying, hey, I may have been a little hard there. Because I'm a man under authority. I'm a man who wants to be under authority. I, I don't want to get outside of the voice of Scripture. Let me, let, me, let me explain something to you. There's, there's many voices of authority in the world. The greatest voice of authority is, and, and, and the only voice that we should really align everything to is the plumb line, the Word of God. But then you should also understand that there are seasoned men and women of God. Men and women. I, Dr. 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 is here. Bishop Bob McLaughlin's here. Pastor Bonnie, 40 years of ministry in music. You know, you come on the scene after five minutes and you think, ooh, and she say, hey, listen, can you be careful here? That looks like it's about you instead of him. Oh, it's the new way. Yeah, it's the new way, but it's an old way that's not the good way. This isn't about how popular I become. This is about how big he becomes. I took myself off television because, you know what, Ed Silvoso said to me when I was praying with him, I had an opportunity to go on, a to be syndicated across America. It only cost me $2 million. So I'm asking the guys, if this is so good, why don't you pay for it and let me just come on? Oh, no, 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 but we'll, we'll get you on. And they said, it's just like anything else. It's like selling soap. You buy this market, then you buy that market, and you get on this market, and you get on that market. And, and it just didn't ring true. I'm thinking, what? And I went with Ed Silvoso. We, we did three days of walking and praying. He'd drive me up in the mountains, and we'd pray. Finally, on the last day, he looked at me, and he said this. I said, you know, what do you think I should do? And he knew I was wrestling with this. He said, you know, I've never seen a radio ministry fall. I said, tell me what you mean. He says, you know, television ministries, are, they're falling all the time, these television ministers. They're failing. I, I said, why, why, why do you think that's so? Now, this is a good time to keep your mouth shut and listen. Here's a seasoned man. Here's a man who's been around for a long, long time. Why, why do you think that's so? He says, you know, when you're on television, he says, you appear to be something that you're not. You become an idol. You become an icon. He says, you're made up. Every time you're on television, you have all the answers. You look like you're totally together. You don't have to live your life with those people. They never see your weaknesses. They only see you in perfection. He says, and then what happens is these guys begin to believe their own advertising. And then now they start walking around the city. They start walking around the, the, the world thinking that they're bigger than life, bigger than they really are. And they, and they expect a kind of treatment that, don't you know I have all the answers? And boy, when he started speaking, it was like God speaking into my heart. I don't know if you noticed, but I went off television everywhere. 
Because I said, God, I don't want to be that person. And I could feel the roots of that pride lifting up inside of you. You know, bless God, we're on television. Now, we may go back on television. I'm not saying that television's wrong. I'm just saying that you need to know what's in your own heart. Television's not wrong. It's just we need to be very humble, and we need to be able to submit. We need to be able to have checks in our lives. Or we can get off the Scriptures, and we can get into idolatry, divinations. See, there's only one revealer of truth. God has appointed for himself that revealer. And it's the only way by which he desires to be known. When we turn from or we go beyond the revealer and we consult other mediums, we belittle God and we exalt ourselves. We devalue the revelation of Jesus Christ and we take to ourselves the prerogatives of deity. See, no one who loves Jesus Christ and orients all of his life around the revelation of Jesus can turn to the occult knowledge or turn to the occult power. There's no way that I can ever turn to an occult power. Galatians says it this way in chapter 1 and verses 8 through 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so we say again now. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that which you received, let him be accursed. Why, why would they say that? Because I'm going to tell you something. There is a false teaching, a false Christ, and a false spirit that's gone into the earth. And if we're not careful, we will substitute Jesus and the, power of, the true power of the Holy Spirit for something that's false, a false gospel. See, no matter how innocent the practices of the occult seem at first, they're all dimensions of the one rebellion that has been underway since the Garden of Eden. The aim to avoid, at all costs, childlike submission to the limitations and the provisions of a sovereign God. And instead, we're trying to get a power which, by which we can be called great. Man or woman in the occult is a man or a woman in rebellion. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Let me close. So, what, what is the positive Christian alternative to the occult? Well, the answer is one and the same everywhere throughout the New Testament. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the mature sons of God. Jesus, when he was confronted by the devil himself, took the word, and three times he confronted the devil with the very word of God not with his opinions, not with his feelings, not with his emotions, but with the Word of God. Over against all of the allurements of the occult stands Jesus the Christ, the embodiment of God's revelation. Faith takes its stand on the sufficiency of this revelation and seeks no other secret knowledge. I stand on the word alone. Faith lays itself open to the power of God through Jesus Christ alone and seeks no other psychic or spiritual power. Faith cleaves to Jesus. Faith loves Jesus. Faith adores Jesus. Faith trusts Jesus. And extols all the sufficiency, this all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And it shuns in all of her many garments the temptress of the occult. Today, there are many believers that through beguilement, through deception, through curiosity, 
through tradition, through culture, not only believers, but pastors that have not cut the ties with these occult practices. I'm calling us to do so before we can enter into the land of promise. We cannot enter into promise and displace those that practice such things if we too have allowed them in our lives, if we too are practicing them. We must come to a place where we draw a line in the sand. We must come to a place in our own lives where we repent. We must come to a place in our own hearts where we say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Deliver me. I know where I'm dabbling in witchcraft. I know where I'm dabbling in ancestral worship. I know where I have not stood strong. I know where I don't preach strongly because I'm afraid. I've allowed the sins of the flesh. I've allowed witchcraft. I've allowed these things in my life. Through ignorance, through fear, through neediness, wantonness, through lasciviousness, through all these things, whatever the reason is, God says it's an abomination. Abomination. And judgment must begin here in the house of God. It must begin with me. I'm the first to repent. I'm the first to say, I've entertained thoughts, I've entertained ideas that are contrary to God's word. Today, I say, I want to take responsibility in my house, in this house, and say, with God's help, I will press on to the hope of the high calling of Jesus Christ. I will apprehend that which I was apprehended for. Having begun a good work in me, Jesus, would you bring it to completion? And I repent today openly. I say, as a pastor, as a leader in this city, I have not stood against evil the way I should. I've not spoken out the way I should. I've been fearful sometimes. But God has not given me a spirit of fear, and I refuse to be fearful any longer. I'm asking for the body of Christ. I'm asking for you as leaders to stand up and say, no, 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 no. Now, I'm, asking, I'm not asking you to be stupid. You don't have to speak out against. You just don't participate in. I'm so tired of pastors currying favor with politicians. Look, I love our politicians. I pray for them all the time. But I don't want to be near them. The church and politics are two separate worlds. I'm a citizen of two kingdoms. I am a citizen of Zimbabwe. I'm a, I have to obey the laws as best I can here. But when the laws of Zimbabwe are contrary to the laws of the kingdom, I'm going to stand with my king. Because his laws are moral. His laws are righteous. His laws are holy. And his laws produce life. Ours evidently do not produce life. You just have to look around you and you can see that they're not producing life. I repent. I will stand with the king. I will stand for the king. Can you repent with me? Would you repent? Would you put your heart in the right place today? Would you say, God, would you forgive me? Can we all do that? I mean, is there anybody that needs to do this besides me? Some of us are afraid of our community. Many people in the white community. I'm sorry to say this, but you're so afraid of your own community that, that you're so politically correct you would never take a stand. You'd rather be seen as being part of than to stand up and say, no, what we're doing is wrong. Freemasonry has crept into that community so deeply there's a, a favor mill corrupting our society. Oh, don't talk like that. Don't talk. Like that. Why? It's the truth. There are powers behind powers, principalities behind principalities. We can never confront them. We can never face them when they're in our very lives, when we're subject to them, when we're fearful of them. God, forgive me for a spirit of fear. Grant me revelation. 
Strip this out of my spirit. Strip this out of my heart. Help me to see truth as it really is. Give me an illumination. Give me a revelation of who you are. Let me see the power of your gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I feel like there's somebody here today that you just say, man, I've got to get to the altar. I, 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 this is beyond me just standing in a seat. I've got to get to an altar. I've got to get before God. God, I want to tell the whole world that I will stand for you. I'm not going to sit in my seat. I'm, I'm making a, I, I'm, I'm causing a divide between me and the world today. I'm causing a divide in my heart today. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping across a line today. I'm not going to just stand here. I'm going to do something and I'm going to act on it right now. If that's you, if God's speaking to you, get out of your seat, get up here and find a place at the altar. Do some business with God. God, I, I'm testifying by my actions that I will follow you, that I will obey you, that no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, I renounce the occult. I renounce sorcery. I renounce divination in my life. I renounce my fear from my pulpit, from preaching the truth to my congregation, from confronting sin when it appears before me. I renounce it. For being soft on that which is abominable to you, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. For being soft on myself. For not standing up in my family. For not standing up in my church. For not standing up in my business. For not standing up in my community. Trying to curry favor with devil worshipers. Trying to get favors from those who will kill people to have access to finances. I don't want to be a part of that. I'd rather suffer with the people of God than be wealthy in the house of Pharaoh. God, forgive us. God, help us. God, guide us. God, lead us. God, direct us. God, stir us. Holy Spirit, start with me. Holy Spirit, let your Holy Spirit be holy in me. Let your holiness be a reality in my own heart, my own mind, in my own life. I yield my members afresh unto righteousness, unto holiness. Father, forgive me where I have yielded myself unto sin. Father, prepare a holy bride. Prepare a holy people. Prepare men and women whose lives are far beyond lip service. You said, don't rend your garments, but rend your hearts. Father, you said that you would not despise a contrite heart, a humble spirit. Father, may we be those people that have a humble heart, a, a humble spirit. We come before you. Give us clean hands. Give us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Renew our minds. Help us to renew our minds. Help us to forsake that which is evil. And Father, help us to lay hold of that which is good. Help us to look on things above and not on this earth. Father, I pray for every person that's responding today that there would be a moving of your Holy Spirit. Father, that as you've convicted us of our sin, if you've convicted us of unrighteousness, that Father, you would cause something mighty to happen in our midst, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.